0: All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. It's been a minute since we've been in Hebrews. And so I feel like we we just need to start in chapter 1. So actually, let's go to chapter 1 and we'll we'll start at the beginning. But uh I just wanted to you know, thank you all for your prayers uh, for the elders, we, we had a, just a couple days away of, of retreat and planning and uh, conversation, p- lots of prayer. Um, I say this not as a feather in the cap in any way, but I just want you to know that we pray for you all as part of the church, individually by name, children, moms, dads, husbands, individuals. We are so thankful for the church that God is fitly joining together here at Liberty Hills, that He is building. And as we lingered in prayer, um, the reminders of what is going on in people's lives, challenges, trials, difficulties, um, as we just talk through what each family is facing, what each individual is facing, and there's a lot going on in our body right now, and uh, I would encourage us all to exercise Galatians chapter number six to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, one of the greatest means of grace that God has given us is the church, and we know the church isn't just... A building or a place, it's it's people, right? It's one of the greatest means of grace that God has given you and your race that you are running. I'm dropping some breadcrumbs for Hebrews 12, if you'll remember. This race that we're we're called to run with endurance. One of the greatest means of grace that God has given us is the people of the church. So I would encourage you to be vulnerable in in sharing those burdens so that there can be another hand or two or three or four or ten that can carry that burden with you. And maybe it's just a little bit lighter. And maybe God's grace is just that much more ever-present in your time of need. So encourage one another as you go through life. The elder retreat was was great. God continually works through that time. There's nothing um, extra spiritual about that retreat or that place. It's just a time that we get away to dedicate a season to to pray and to plan, and uh, we're excited about unfolding uh, some of the plans and direction that God has given for 2024. In just a couple weeks, uh, we'll have, on January 28th, we'll have a a budget meeting. We'll talk about year-end numbers, and we'll present a 2024 budget. And more importantly, it'll be an opportunity for us to talk about um, direction and how God is leading. And uh, we would invite you all to continue to be in prayer. But as those plans unfold, we would invite you to to be a part of what God is doing here at Liberty Hills uh, to fulfill the Great Commission of making disciples. For the glory of God right here in Liberty and the extended communities and neighborhoods. God is doing a work. The gospel is still at work. It's still good news. Jesus is still alive. The tomb is still empty, and he still desires to work in our day. And so we're excited about a new year, and I hope you are as well. Well, as Pastor Andy indicated, the title of our message this morning is A Better Kingdom, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through the end of the chapter. We've had the Advent, a, a fifth Sunday. We've had a um, scripturally rich and inspiring sermon from Pastor Dave last week around understanding God's will in biblical transformation of our mind and our heart being changed to the image of Christ. Presenting our bodies a, a living sacrifice, being renewed and our minds, not being conformed to this world. Primary means by which God does that work is through his word. So I know there's been a number of Bible reading plans and encouragements to, to get into the word. And I pray that you have not only heard, but you also have received that admonition and that challenge to be in the word of God. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. You lack wisdom right now? Struggling, difficulties present themselves to you? God invites us to look into his word, to seek him through the only truth that we have this side of eternity is the word of God. And so we'll have probably about five more weeks in the book of Hebrews. We'll bring this series to a close and we'll look forward to uh, communicating uh, our next series and what God has laid on our heart uh, through the preaching and teaching ministry here at Liberty Hills. Um, But I pray that as we finish this series, that it won't just be finishing a series. But I pray as we look at this final section of finishing out chapter 12 and then lingering for a number of weeks in chapter 13, I pray that uh, you would have fresh eyes to see and open ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of God's word. So just as a reminder of our context, since it's been a few weeks, actually a couple months, chapter 12, our author would have us to remember to run this race with endurance. And considering this most immediate context, our author would have us to run with endurance within the context of biblical community. So maybe over the next few weeks, you can look back to the, the most recent sermons online and maybe you can catch up with, with where we finished. But that, that's in essence is the summary of where we've been. Uh, running this race with endurance within the context of the body of Christ. And the big idea from the last message that we had in Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17, was that God intends to cultivate endurance in us as we run the race within community. We looked at the support for the wounded runner. We looked at striving for purity within the body and standing watch for one another, as we navigate this race of life, and as we consider this concept of endurance with our original readers in mind, we will remember that they are facing many hardships and persecutions, their property their their livelihood was was being pillaged and, and stripped away. Christians were facing religious, social, familial, and many times even physical persecution during at this time, many were even walking away from the faith as they were unwilling to associate with those that were experiencing this type of hardship and difficulty. Ultimately, it revealed that they were never truly followers of Christ. Apostasy understood in terms of there were tares among the wheat. They went out from us. Why? Because they were never of us. This is the backdrop that we have, and I hope you'll remember it as we continue to work our way. So endurance is a pretty applicable topic for the author to be writing about and discussing here in this letter. Why? Because his readers need endurance. Hebrews 10, verse number 36, the author says, "...for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." So the author doesn't just call us to endurance and the corrective discipline of the Lord. He doesn't just remind us about persecution and and difficulty as the end in itself. No, there is a promise. There is hope. And we will receive it. This is evident in so many ways in our lives and just the everyday milieu of life. Promise comes to us through the means of difficult endurance. You want a good grade on that test, kids? What does it come by? Hours of study, endurance in the content that you're studying. You want to be healthy. It comes through the endurance of discipline, saying no to your cravings and desires and saying no to your body when it doesn't want to get up in the morning to work out. Endurance is what we are called to in the Christian life. And if you'll remember with me about what we reminded us of about this call to endurance in the Christian life. We secure endurance In the Christian life, not through striving and working in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own understanding. No, we practice biblical endurance as we rest in what Jesus, our great high priest, has already done. We engage in biblical endurance for the glory of God as we rest in the personal work of Jesus, as we glory in the gospel's work in our life, as we see the Holy Spirit of God use his word and plant it deep in our life and to renew our minds and transform our lives. And so we're less conformed to the world and we are more conformed to the image of Christ. This is how we endure, we rest. So we endure as we we stop Working and we stop striving. We simply believe by faith and we trust that Jesus is enough because he is enough. Our great high priest has done this work of salvation. He is doing this present work of salvation and he will complete it This work that he has begun, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this brings us to the big idea of our text this morning, verses 18 through 29. The big idea is this. The new covenant promises a better and eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. The new covenant promises a better and eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. This morning we're going to look at just three simple observations concerning this better kingdom. Right here in chapter number 12, the first observation is this. We're going to look at the reality of the better kingdom. The reality of the better kingdom. Up to this point, the author has really been working to establish, namely, the role of Jesus as our what? Somebody help me. Our great high priest. Are you with me? Up to this point, chapter after chapter after chapter, we've looked at Jesus as our our great high priest. The author has Established at length that Jesus is both qualified and, and capable of fulfilling this role on our behalf. In fact, he alone is able to stand in as our great high priest. All others were lesser. All others were incapable of standing in this role for all eternity. Jesus, God's only son, is the only one who is both qualified and capable of doing this work on our behalf. It was ratified through this establishment of the new covenant, which is through the blood of Jesus. And then our author has unpacked the implications of this new covenant at length. And and two of the greatest implications of the new covenant came by way of understanding, one, our access to the Father, and two, our relationship with the Father. Our access with the Father and our relationship with the Father, both our access and our relationship with God the Father were supernaturally and radically changed because of Jesus, our great high priest. So as we run this race with endurance, we look to only Jesus as our only hope to secure this better promise of this better kingdom. Here we have in these opening verses a contrast that is laid out for these Hebrew believers. In order for the author to truly convey the realities of this promised and and better kingdom, he paints a picture that would have hit close to home for these Hebrew believers. He lays out in the early verses of 18 through 21 that God's presence was limited under the Old Covenant. It was limited in terms of ability and access. These terrifying descriptions in the Old Testament of mankind needing to be veiled from the presence of God, sinful mankind did not have the ability to be in the presence of God. A holy God, nonetheless. Access was also limited. We we have examined at length this Levitical priestly system, the tent, the tabernacle, the the holy of holies, the day of atonement. Under this, this old covenant, it was all pointing to a limitation of access. Only the high priest could enter in and represent the people of God before the presence of God. So our author uses The contrast of two mountains. We have the contrast of Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. Here in our opening verses, uh, they point out the reality of this better kingdom through this idea of contrast. As the presence of God descended on Mount Sinai, and God gives the law to Moses, there were many terrifying circumstances that the author uses to establish this stark contrast. So look at me verse number 18 of chapter number 12. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. We see this original scene back in Exodus chapter number 19, verses 16 through 25. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast The Lord came down to Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people Cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through and come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is an incredible scene. If you really attempted to hear and receive that, and if you're like me, my mind hears in pictures. I don't know if that's normal or not. Probably not normal, but that's how my mind hears things. I, I, I create a mental picture of that. Did, did you maybe create a scene in your mind of thunder? God speaking and responding through thunder, smoke, fire, loud trumpets getting louder and louder. The scene of, of the people begging God. Fear, uncertainty. This presence of God, the creator of all the universe, descending here on Mount Sinai. This is the reality of the Old Covenant a limitation of access. And a limitation of ability to be in the presence of God. And Mount Sinai, which was physical in nature, they could touch and and see it. It was filled with a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a great tempest. Even Moses had communed with the Lord. Even Moses trembled in fear at this scene. The people of God in the Old Testament knew God and had faith in God. They hoped in this promised Messiah. But at the end of the day, the relationship with God through the Old Covenant was absolutely different than ours today under the New Covenant. And for that, I'm I'm so thankful that we have a different ability and access to be in the presence of God Through this new covenant, through the personal work of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. Their understanding of God's presence was confined to miraculous events such as Mount Sinai, the city of God, Jerusalem, the temple that was ultimately built there. Their understanding of God's presence was many times physical in nature. This is why the author starts in verse number 18 You have not come to what may be touched. He's setting up a contrast, shifting their mind and understanding of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. It's not confined to the four walls of a church. You have not come to what may be touched. This is the earthly representation of the kingdom of God that is ultimately looking forward to a better city, a better mount, a better tabernacle, a better sanctuary, a better place to be in the presence of God, an unbridled relationship with God for all Eternity. Verse number 22, the contrast now shifts away from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem to, and to innumerable angels in and festival gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. a first phrase in verse number 22. But you have come. Comes from the Greek word proserkamai. This word often describes the priestly privilege of drawing near to God in worship. This is what it would look like on the day of atonement for the high priest to draw near to the Holy of Holies and to present that sacrifice. But this drawing near is now in the context of whom? Everyday believers Those that have faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in Christ alone, we can proserchami, we can draw near to God in worship. The same word is used, to put it in context, in Hebrews 4, verse number 16, that we have quoted often. In this series, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now the author is elevating the contrast. His readers under the new covenant have access, not to a a physical mountain or city or sanctuary, but rather they have direct access to an eternal city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And the atmosphere there is not one of terror or, or fear or gloom or darkness. The scene presented here in Hebrews 12 is, is a joyful festival. The celebration with the assembly, the, the ecclesia, other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the great cloud of witnesses from verse 1 of chapter number 12. They're all right there. In this heavenly Jerusalem, what an incredible scene this is. Innumerable angelic host. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the assembly have gathered and Jesus is there. Our Savior, the perfect Lamb of God. Sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. The author of Hebrews also reminds them that they are counted among the firstborn. This is an incredible aspect to consider as far as our identity in Christ. You want to know Jesus loves you? You want to know that he keeps you in the palm of his hand and no man can pluck you out? Are you struggling with your confidence? Is your faith wavering? Your assurance may be struggling Consider this, he has counted you among the firstborn. Now, this idea of the firstborn in a Jewish sense would carry with it this idea of a birthright. In the verses that precede, we have already examined the example of Esau. His short sighted and spontaneous selling of his birthright removed the, the unique privileges of the firstborn in verses 16 through 17. In this better kingdom, there are many firstborn children of God that make up this assembly. How is, how is this possible? It's possible because all whom the Son, meaning Jesus Christ, all whom he calls his brothers, share by grace in the Son's inheritance that is given to him by the Father. We see this reality in Romans chapter number 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What a beautiful hope! That through Christ, we are children of God, heirs with Jesus, partakers of this incredible inheritance, this incredible hope of a better kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a heavenly Jerusalem. Finally, we see their names are enrolled in heaven. This speaks to God's sovereign role in this work of salvation. and For all that have true, enduring, and persevering faith in Jesus, their name is written eternally in the book of life. I think of Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so friends, what great hope we have in this reality, whatever God writes, does not change God is not writing names in the book of life with an asterisk he's not writing it in in pencil waiting to see how you pan out the blood of Jesus secures this entry for all of time and this is incredible hope I hope, friends, if you're wavering your faith, if you're struggling with the present circumstances that are causing you to doubt the love of Jesus, causing you to doubt the grace that has been shown towards you in the gospel, remember your identity. Remember that you are heirs with Christ. You are the firstborn. You are enrolled in heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. What's written in the Lamb's book of life cannot be changed, friends. No matter how we struggle, no matter what difficulties we may go through, let our hope be secure. Not in what we have done or what we can do, but in what Jesus has done and what he has completed and what he has secured on our behalf. Romans 8 29 through 31 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that who that could be against us is also ourselves. God is for you. If you're in Christ, by grace, through faith, we can be confident of our identity. Regardless of present circumstances, regardless of the hardships, regardless of the struggles, regardless of the persecution, we have a better kingdom, an incredible promise that God is working on our behalf. Jesus, as the mediator of this better covenant, does this work as our great high priest. He represents us perfectly before the Father. There is perfect righteousness. This is the promise of endurance. This is the finish line of our earthly race. This is when we truly enter into God's rest for all eternity. This was my dad two and a half years ago. This was Andy Clapp just a few weeks ago. Finishing our earthly race. Persevering in faith. God completing the work that he has begun on our behalf. So the author of Hebrews is seeking to encourage his readers to keep on enduring and persevering in the faith. There is a great promise in store, a better city, a better mountain, a better sanctuary, a better kingdom. What a great hope we have in store. This is the reality of the better kingdom. In light of this great promise and hope of the heavenly Jerusalem, our author gives two exhortations. One, a warning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. This will serve as our second point. The second exhortation is a positive admonition. Let us be thankful and worship. This, is, this will serve as our third point. So the second observation is a reminder of imminent judgment. A reminder of imminent judgment. Judgment. Hebrews 12, verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So our author reminds his readers, by way of a caution and a warning, to listen to the word of the Lord. He's warning his readers to listen to, to open their ears and to joyfully receive the word of the Lord. The warnings bring to light that our listening, our receiving, our believing in the word of the Lord, it all has eternal implications. The author then warns that there will be a day that both the earth and the heavens will be shaken and at the last day in a way that, that reveals the temporal nature of the earth. It also reveals the eternal nature of the kingdom of God. So the author of Hebrews draws one more contrast between God's speech at Mount Sinai and his extended warning that is that is to come at Mount Sinai God's voice did what? It shook the earth. The whole mountain trembled greatly as the presence of God descended upon the mountain. Israel did not listen to the voice of the Lord then, and it's here that our author is warning of a coming day when God would speak once more from heaven and his voice would shake not only earth but also the heavens. And so the admonition is to not reject the word of the Lord. This imminent shaking or, or you could view it in sense of, of a judging all things should cause us to consider eternity. I think of Matthew chapter number six, verses 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think of Colossians chapter number three. Verses one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ, do what? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's that that promise. Of a better kingdom. What is left? What is left after the shaking of both the earth once more along with the heavens? What does this reveal? Verse 27 In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain, a better kingdom remains. Friends, I wonder this morning what you are thinking upon, what you are living for. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you an above minded Christian longing for this better kingdom? Longing for this heavenly Jerusalem. Longing to be in the presence of God with total access and ability through the personal work of Jesus. Are you investing in eternity? Are we investing our time? Our resources? Our money in this earth that ultimately is going to do what? It's going to be shaken And it's going to be consumed. We observe the reality of the better kingdom too. We looked at the reminder of imminent judgment. There should be an urgency and an intentionality by God's grace to recalibrate our mind and our hearts towards eternity. Living in this reality that we have heard the voice of the Lord that there is a better kingdom, that this world is passing away, and it's lust thereof. But He that does the will of God will abide forever. I wonder where we're at in that reality of daily Christian living. Our third observation is this, the response of true worship. As we think about eternity understanding this imminent judgment and this reality of a better kingdom, what should our response be? As we consider the teaching of our author here in this letter to the Hebrews, God's voice has shaken the heavens and the earth to their core and He has dismantled all but that which cannot be shaken. Let's read our final two verses. Chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What should our response be to God's provision of the new covenant? What should our response be to this access and ability to be in the presence of God for all eternity through our inheritance with Jesus Christ? What should our response be of this promise of an unshakable kingdom? Our author admonishes us to first be grateful and to worship the Lord in an acceptable and reverent way. The kingdom of God was Mentioned just one other time back in chapter number one in Hebrews, only while citing Psalm number 45. So the author's inclusion of this unshakable kingdom at this point in the letter, it marries well with all that has been covered concerning Jesus Christ as our great high priest. This priestly role is carried out not just how or by whom, but now the author is saying, where is this high priestly role carried out in this heavenly city of the living God, this promise of a destination where we will experience unbridled fellowship with God in the very presence of God in the kingdom of God. It is the resolve of God's redemptive plan that we see right here in Hebrews chapter number 12. Then and only then has God restored that which has been broken by sin. Fellowship with God is eternally restored. Creation once again is walking and living in the presence of God, their creator, just as he designed. So our response is what? Gratitude. Seems like such an elementary response. You think that there should be something more or, or better, but I think if that comes into our mind, what a little view and understanding of the response of gratitude we may have. What else can we say to these realities but, Jesus, thank you. So consider the shelter that we sung about. Before the message, as we consider the the hope, the provision that's been given to us through Jesus Christ, gratitude should be on our lips. Gratitude should be the disposition of our life. Thankfulness, realizing that I brought nothing to the table and Jesus provided everything. Gratitude. A response of gratitude brings about a spirit of humility. Who modeled humility perfect for us? But Jesus Christ. As he came and took on flesh, took on the likeness of mankind. The only reason he did that was because the Father willed it. And so in perfect obedience, Jesus Christ takes on flesh lives, walks, born of a virgin, lives and walks on this earth, performs signs, miracles, and wonders, affirming his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, this long-awaited-for Messiah, the suffering servant, unjustly is accused, is sentenced to death by crucifixion. Goes to the cross. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head. They're atoning, shedding his blood, appeasing by way of propitiation, appeasing the requirement. Of God to pay for the sins of mankind. And through the shed blood of Jesus, he gives his life, proclaiming on that cross, it is finished. Taken off that cross, buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. That if we believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. This is the hope and the truth of the gospel. In the year of our Lord, 2024, thousands of years later, this gospel is still true. And this gospel is still at work. And friends, there's a better kingdom a better hope, a better promise that is available to you through Jesus Christ. And it's a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is our great high priest. This is the work that he does on our behalf. The only response that we can have to the gospel's work, is gratitude. Our response to this promise fulfilled now and for all eternity should be acceptable worship with the demeanor and disposition of reverence and awe remembering who He is. This is the final verse of 29. For God is a consuming fire. Fire. Thanksgiving for such a privilege must motivate a worship of God that is acceptable. The Greek word here for acceptable is Eurodotos, which carries with it the idea of pleasing. Hebrews has already defined for us what is pleasing in God's eyes. Do you remember what it is? What is pleasing to God? Faith. Do you remember Hebrews 11, verse number six? And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near, there's that word, that verb again. Whoever to draw near to God must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who seek him. What is our reward for faith in Christ? It's a better kingdom. A promise of an eternal heavenly Jerusalem. Where we can be in the presence of God for all eternity. Our grateful joy must be blended with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. He is our God, and we are His people. God has committed to us in covenant relationship, a new covenant, through the blood of Jesus. And for that reason, He is a jealous God. He is jealous for our relationship, our affections our desires, our times. He desires for us to share our struggles, our needs, our wants. He desires us to place all of our fear at the foot of the cross. He promises that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Why? Because we can be confident in the personal work of Jesus. So big idea of our text this morning was the new covenant promises a better and eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. We looked at the reality of the better kingdom in verses 18 through 24. We looked at the reminder of imminent judgment in verses 25 through 27. And we looked at this response. This response of this incredible work of the gospel is simply gratitude, true worship, reverent and awe-inspiring worship as we remember who Jesus is. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we close our time in the word? God, we thank you for the truth of Hebrews chapter number 12. We are looking forward to application and discussion time as we consider what these truths mean for our lives, our daily living, how the truth of God's word impacts and shapes our heart and our mind. God, I pray that in the midst of all the chaos of this world, all the brokenness that is present because of sin, I pray that we would remember that we have a promise, a better kingdom, an eternal one that is unmovable, that is unshakable, that cannot be dismantled. God, you have established it and it will endure. We thank you for the hope that we have in a better kingdom because of Jesus Christ because of the love that you have shown towards us in your son we pray this morning that we would affirm the good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ If there's somebody here this morning that is doubting who Jesus is and what he has done for them is doubting their faith I pray that they would reach out to one of the elders we would open up the word and simply show them the hope of the gospel through Jesus. We thank you, God, for this time. We pray that you would cause there to be fruit that would remain. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.